Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, and welcome to the 2021 GoofCast Holiday Home Alone Special. I'm your host, Michael Prims, and I'm very happy to be here with you all. Merry Christmas once again. Happy Holidays. Bon Natale. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Chinese New Year's. Happy Festivus. I hope you're spreading great tidings to all and to all of your kin. And I hope that you're making the Yuletide gay. But if you're having a blue Christmas, that's okay too. Today we will be discussing the second best Christmas movie ever made and one of the greatest movies ever made, Home Alone. I say second best Christmas movie because I think the best Christmas movie ever made and one of my probably top five favorite movies of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. And if I have to give the bronze spot to somebody, I would give it to Will Ferrell's Elf. I also have major love for A Christmas Story, the original Miracle on 34th Street, the Christmas horror movies Rare Exports, Christmas Evil, and Krampus, A Charlie Brown Christmas, all the Rankin-Bass stop-motion TV specials, those are awesome, the Tim and Eric Crimbus special, the Seinfeld Festivus episode, of course, and the Twilight Zone Christmas episode, Night of the Meek from Season 2. I got no love. For all the raging, pubescent neckbeards out there, every year at Christmas, did you know Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Yep, we get it. Takes place on Christmas Eve. Yeah, sure, it's a Christmas movie. But by that logic, I would like to classify Eyes Wide Shut as a Christmas movie as well. And I would like for all you Die Hard as a Christmas movie guys to watch a little movie I'd like to call Mouth Wide Shut. 2021, if it was anything, was a very big year for all the Home Alone heads out there. Since Disney purchased 20th Century Fox, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone is now a Disney icon, right up there with Mickey Mouse and Aladdin and Spider-Man and Darth Vader. And yeah, pretty soon everything's going to be owned by Disney. But since they have the rights to the Home Alone franchise, the Home Alone intellectual property, they did what any major company would do and decided to make yet another Home Alone movie, Home Alone sequel that nobody asked for. It seems like every Christmas season, there's an outpouring of love to Macaulay Culkin's Kevin McAllister in the movies Home Alone and its direct sequel, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. But what about all the bastard children of the post-Culkin sequels, to which there are four of now, that arm booby traps for no one to see? It begs the question, if a child traps a robber after 1992 and no one is there to see it, did he really trap the robber? Well, I'm here to tell you about it because I have now seen all six Home Alone movies, and I would like to talk about them one by one. Most of these movies I've seen so that you, at home, warm in your blanket with a nice hot cup of cocoa by your side, a roaring fire, Christmas lights, Vince Guaraldi trio, Charlie Brown Christmas, jazz hits on the record player, and visions of Santa Claus, and sugar plums, and great joy, in your mind, uh, you don't have to, because I did. This is a gift I bestow uh, unto you this holiday season. Uh, this is the the time of giving, and I have given you uh, my thoughts on these horrible movies, uh, these horrible four movies that, that follow Home Alone, Lost in New York. So, enjoy. Home Alone was released in 1990 and was directed by Chris Columbus, no, not that Chris Columbus, and written by John Hughes. Home Alone is the story of an eight-year-old boy named Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, who is left home alone at Christmas by his parents, Kate McAllister, played by Catherine O'Hara, and Peter McAllister, played by John Hurd. The evening before his family leaves to Paris, Kevin is irritated by his huge, annoying family, which includes, but is not limited to, his brother Buzz, his sister Megan, his other sister Lenny, 
his other brother Jeff, his uncle Frank, his aunt Leslie, and his cousin Fuller, who wets the bed, played by Macaulay Culkin's real-life brother, Kieran Culkin. He says some rude stuff to his mom, and then in the next day's kerfuffle to leave the house and count all 22 children, it isn't actually that much, they leave Kevin home alone. On Christmas Eve, while he is home alone, Kevin must protect his house against two hilarious bumbling thieves named Harry and Marv, played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, respectively. He successfully fends them off, and Kate McAllister is reunited with her son once again, thanks to John Candy in a hilarious guest appearance as Gus Polensky, the polka king of the Midwest. I'm just going to speak candidly here, no script. This movie rocks. I love it. It's so quotable. It's beautifully shot. It's super entertaining. It's hilarious. It's fun for families and people of all ages. John Candy's in it. And it's awesome. There's also great music in it. I love like so many Christmas songs that I actually enjoy hearing uh, in the holiday season were featured in this movie and the direct sequel. This is one of my favorite movies of all time and one of my favorite movies as a kid. I remember the first time I saw it, it was when I was uh, begrudgingly taken to uh, my nonna's friend's house, my grandmother's friend's house, while I was staying with her for the day as a little kid while my parents were at work. Uh, They had to find something to entertain me for an hour and a half or so. So my nonna's friend put on the VHS tape of Home Alone, and I was mesmerized. I'm pretty sure I took the VHS tape back to my nonna's house and watched it again the next day, and the day after that, and so on. And was it the Christmas season? Was it December? Was it even November? I think it was the middle of the summer. I remember being in shorts for this event. Home Alone is not only a great movie, but I think it's a great unifier. Yeah, it's a movie that is in English, and watching it with my Italian grandmother, not completely fluent in English, there were probably some jokes that flew over her head. But you know what's funny to a person who's 70 and a person who's 7? A guy getting hit by a paint can. A guy falling on ice. There's so many great slapstick elements in Home Alone that people of all ages, of all creeds, of all colors can laugh at together. I give Home Alone, number one, a 10 out of 10. Before we move on to Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, I wanted to go over some trivia, fan theories, and things I've noticed about the movie over the years. The first piece of trivia is actually something that I've told people before about this movie, including this past season where I watched this movie with my girlfriend in Montreal and I told her this exact thing, but it's a common misconception. There is a piece of trivia out there that states that Daniel Stern's scream when the tarantula is on his face towards the end of the movie had to be dubbed in later on in post because if he actually did scream, it would have scared the tarantula. This is actually false, and the scream was real. Daniel Stern confirmed this in a 2015 Christmas season Facebook post about Home Alone where he asked if he should scream or not, and would it startle the tarantula, and the tarantula handler stated to him, no, because tarantulas don't have ears. The Kenosha Kickers were played by a real polka band. This band is not called the Kenosha Kickers in real life. They were called Eddie Carosa Jr. and the Boys from Illinois. Eddie Carosa Jr. and his boys from Illinois received a little over $1,000 for a day of filming with John Candy. Not too shabby. I would have done that for free. The Christmas polka music that you hear in the movie had to actually be recorded in a studio by Eddie Carosa Jr. and the boys from Illinois. And that's why every year when Home Alone plays a million times over the Christmas season, Eddie Carosa maintains that he gets $2,000 to $3,000 in royalties because he has a recorded song in the movie, which is pretty awesome. A question that I always see that pops up around this time of year when talking about Home Alone is what exactly did Kevin's parents do for a living to afford such a luxurious life? They live in one of the most affluent neighborhoods in America, Winnetka, Illinois. They have a huge house, 
And at least in Home Alone 2, Peter McAllister can afford the plane tickets to Florida for 13 people with all of the adults sitting in first class. Although the movie doesn't tell us what Kate and Peter McAllister do for a living, the official novelization does. I'm not sure if this is canon, but the novelization says that Peter McAllister is a wealthy businessman. And regarding Kate McAllister, I quote, With her dark wavy hair, black business suit, and glittering jewelry, she looked like a character from Dynasty, but then she was a clothes designer and worked in the fashion business. That would explain why the family has six mannequins in the basement. I would assume that Peter and Frank's brother Rob McAllister is also rich because he affords all the plane tickets in the first movie, a gift to his family to meet him in Paris. That leaves Frank as the runt of the family, nowhere near as wealthy, it seems, as his two brothers. This leads us to another fan theory, maybe one of my favorite fan theories, that Uncle Frank set up Kevin. Jealous of the success of his brothers Peter and Rob, Frank McAllister made sure that Kevin McAllister did not get any of his cheese pizza to enrage him and cause a rift between him and the family. Then he cut the power so that they would leave Kevin at home, doesn't have any care or regard for the fact that his nephew is stuck home alone. He says famously, well, I forgot my reading glasses, just minimizing the entire situation. And he hoped that the robbery would go off without a hitch, but did not care if Kevin was an innocent casualty in the process, also that he could relish in his brother's misfortune and make off with, I don't know, five of his wife's jewels or uh, earrings or something. I don't know how much cash was left in the house. Last thing about Home Alone 1, I like this Jesus theme going on with Old Man Marley. Old Man Marley and Kevin McAllister share the theme of having resentment for their family after a falling out and need to find forgiveness. One of the first encounters Kevin has with Old Man Marley is in a grocery store as he goes to the counter and slams his hand on it. We can see that he has some sort of gaping wound in his hand that has been covered up crudely with some gauze, and we see a blood splatter on the gauze. This symbolizes the wounds in Jesus' hands in the form of a stigmata. When Old Man Marley and Kevin find themselves in church and discuss reconciling with their estranged family and forgiving them, it ends with a handshake, and during that handshake, Old Man Marley's stigmata, open gaping wound, is now covered by a band-aid on its way to being healed. It could be said that Home Alone really didn't need a sequel, but it just made too much money to not get one. And as far as sequels go, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, released in 1992, is a pretty damn good one. Yeah, there's some issues with it that I will go over, and it does sort of do the same thing as the first one, but it does it really well, and everybody comes back for it. Written by John Hughes, Chris Columbus is back in the director's chair, Macaulay Culkin's there, Daniel Stern, Joe Pesci, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara... They're all back. The new characters are mostly great as well, especially those played by Tim Curry and Rob Schneider. They're really funny and they bring something new to the movie. The only character who did not come back for Home Alone 2 was Kevin's sister, Linny McAllister, who was played by Angela Gothals in the first movie and is now played by Maureen Elizabeth Shea. However, this is a very minor character. This movie is about yet another McAllister family Christmas in the trenches. Forget Paris because the affluent McAllisters are off to Florida for Christmas. And maybe it's their satin sheets because they sleep in yet again and it's a mad dash to the airport. However, they don't leave Kevin at home this time. They do, however, get so caught up in clinking champagne glasses in first class 
that they fail to realize that Kevin McAllister got on the wrong plane and he's now headed to New York. Armed with his dad's stolen credit card, Kevin has a blast in New York staying at the Plaza Hotel until he realizes that the Wet Bandits, now called the Sticky Bandits, Harry and Marv are also in New York with him. Harry and Marv set out to rob a toy store, which contains a wealth of money inside of it that was supposed to go to a children's hospital, and it is up to Kevin to stop them. This movie once again is shot beautifully. New York at Christmas time looks amazing and enchanting, and how cool is Duncan's Toy Chest, one of the coolest toy stores I've ever seen in my life. When I finally took a trip to New York when I was in grade 9, I was so sad to realize that Duncan's Toy Chest doesn't actually exist. Duncan's Toy Chest was based on the New York toy store F.A.O. Schwartz, which was famously used in the movie Big, where Tom Hanks plays heart and soul on a comically large piano. F.A.O. Schwartz, both the original location and the new location, I've seen them both, both don't measure up at all to Duncan's toy chest. Kevin's voice recorder that allows him to speed up and slow down recorded voices, the talk boy, wasn't a real toy, but after the movie they did make it. I thought the talk boy was really cool, and he uses it in a lot of interesting ways. Marv and Harry get absolutely rocked in this movie, as the Looney Tunes cartoon violence is kicked up many notches. Marv turns into a skeleton. Harry is slammed onto a car. It's... it's amazing. Like in the first movie, Kevin eats junk and watches rubbish, and that rubbish is the best part of this movie. The sequel to the in-universe Angels with Filthy Souls from Home Alone 1 is Angels with Even Filthier Souls, infinitely quotable. I made a parody of this when I was in grade 8. I might put some audio from it right here. Hold it right there! It's me, Johnny. I knew it was you. I could smell you getting off the elevator. Gardenia's Johnny, your favorite. You were here last night too, wasn't you? I was singing at the Blue Monkey last night. You were here, and you were smooching with my brother. That's a dirty, rotten lie, Johnny. Don't give me that. You've been smooching with everybody. Snuffy, Al, Leo, Little Mole with the Gimpy Leg, Jinx, Pony Bab, Flip. I can go on forever, baby. Alright, let's talk about the worst part of this movie, The Pigeon Lady. The Pigeon Lady is boring as hell. This movie is close to two hours, and The Pigeon Lady could have been left on the cutting room floor. We really didn't need the Mad Libs, sub out Old Man Marley, sub in The Pigeon Lady, to teach Kevin about what? Being kind to strangers? I mean, he is risking his life for a bunch of strangers in the form of sick children who he doesn't know. I think he gets that lesson. Also, how can this lady be homeless, but also have the coolest pad in all of New York above Carnegie Hall, and she gets to hear every performance and orchestra for free? Yeah, the place is dirty and there's bird shit everywhere, but if she just cleaned it, that'd be the coolest place ever to live. I don't really feel bad for her. Even if she, like, doesn't own that place and she's squatting, she's technically not homeless if she's found this alcove to live in. Like, then why does she spend all day in the cold with these birds, just chill there and listen to Il Devo or whatever? I used to fast forward that part at 6, and I felt like doing the same at 26. Also, the beginning of this movie is proof that the McAllister family are kind of pieces of shit. So... Kevin is doing his solo in this Christmas church choir, and Buzz decides to embarrass him while he's doing this by putting lights behind his ear and drumming on his head, and the audience reacts by falling out with laughter on the floor, and then when Kevin reacts, he's the bad guy. Honestly, I feel for Kevin McAllister in this one, and it seems like until Kevin is in danger or left homeless and destitute in a foreign city, they just don't care about him. Big props for the Ali Sheedy cameo, no props for the Donald Trump cameo. Apparently, Donald Trump owned the Plaza Hotel, and in order for Chris Columbus and the Home Alone crew to film in it, his condition was that he has a cameo in the movie, so... 
According to Chris Columbus, he kind of bullied his way into Home Alone 2. There is a petition online to retroactively edit Home Alone 2 and replace Donald Trump with an older version of Macaulay Culkin, who would seemingly show his younger self where the front desk of the hotel is. I fully support that. Till we reach the post-Culkin sequels and have to muddle through somehow, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, gets an 8 out of 10. Just a quick disclaimer before we get into this. As a child, I enjoyed Home Alone and Home Alone 2 so much that out of a desperation and a starvation for more Home Alone content, I did watch Home Alone 3 and Home Alone 4 pretty steadily. Home Alone 5 and, of course, Home Alone 6 were seen for the first time as of this season. People seem to be the most forgiving on the post-Culkin sequels towards Home Alone 3, released in 1997, because you do have three returning faces from the original Home Alone movies. Home Alone 3 was originally meant to be a direct sequel to Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, featuring a teenage Kevin McAllister. However, Macaulay Culkin didn't want to do it, and he was retired from acting by the time that this movie went into production either way. Allegedly, John Hughes also toyed with the idea of having Harry and Marv rob the house of Fuller, who has been left home alone by Frank and Leslie. However, Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci were also done with Home Alone, and Kieran Culkin did not think he could fill his brother's shoes in the lead role. Well, he's doing pretty good now on Succession, so maybe he could have did it. Anyways, with no returning cast from the original Home Alone movies, John Hughes set out to write an entirely new Home Alone 3. So John Hughes is the first face from Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 to return, Also returning is Raja Gosnell, the editor of both the first two movies, this time in the director's chair in his directorial debut. Home Alone 3 also has the same cinematographer as the first two Home Alone movies, Julio Makat. Like I said before, Home Alone fans tend to be a tad bit more forgiving on this sequel than the rest because of the involvement of those three players. However, is this a good Home Alone movie? I don't think so. In our first segment of What Child Is This?, we are now dealing with an eight-year-old named Alex Pruitt, played by Alex D. Linz. This movie is about four spies that are on the hunt for a missing $10 million missile-cloaking microchip that they are selling to a Chinese terrorist organization. They hide the microchip in a remote control car to bring it through airport security. However, bags get switched and a neighbor of Alex ends up with this remote control car. She doesn't really know what to do with it, so she gives it to Alex as a reward for shoveling her driveway. The spies then track the location of the remote control car to Alex's street and decide to break into every single house on the street in a matter of several days, before realizing through a process of elimination that it is Alex who has the car. It is then up to Alex and his pet parrot and his booty traps, that's what I said, booby traps, to protect his house against the spies. Off the bat, where this movie goes wrong, and kind of renders Julio Macat's amazing cinematography over the last two Home Alone movies as redundant, is that it takes place after Christmas. The first day that we see in the plot is January 8th. So it's not Christmas at all, but there's like Christmas decorations still kind of thrown around, left over, and there's a Dean Martin song that plays at one point. Like, why? Home Alone has always been a Christmas movie. It's Christmas in all the rest of the sequels. I don't know why they made this decision. And maybe to save money and to not have to pay to shoot in big Christmassy outdoor locations, the entire movie more or less takes place in the house of the Pruitt family because Alex is home with chicken pox. So that's a, that's a good check mark on we don't have to film a church 
or like like a Christmas tree lighting of any kind. Like we'll just, just leave them in the house. Very easy. This movie is for the most part very boring until the big sequence with the traps. Unlike Home Alone 1 and 2 where Kevin McAllister, like Batman, deals with the robbers under the cover of night and doesn't even tell his parents about the experience that he has fending off the house, this movie begins the YDBM levels, I'm going to call it, which stands for You Don't Believe Me. Until the very end, the vast majority of this movie is spent with Alex pleading with his parents and his siblings and even the local police that you gotta believe me, the same four spies have been circling this neighborhood, walking back and forth on the street, the only NPCs in this neighborhood, and they're breaking into all the homes. Of course no one believes them, of course these guys don't get caught, and they gotta face off at the end of the movie. In terms of the kid himself, he's not the worst post-Culkin kid. He's alright. He's delivering these, like, wise beyond his years lines, like Kevin McAllister, clearly written by John Hughes, probably for a future version of Kevin. My issue with this kid is that he just kind of looks too young. He's very small. He looks like sort of like a toddler, where Kevin looked a little older. I don't know, it's just kind of weird to see this little baby setting up these traps, pushing these objects that are beyond his weight, dealing with electricity. Like, it's a little bit hard to believe. I mean, it's a Home Alone movie. It's a home- We're on Home Alone 3. It's all hard to believe, but this is extremely hard to believe. In terms of the left Home Alone angle, it gets really stupid here. His mom leaves him Home Alone repeatedly. And she just keeps justifying it by like, okay, I'm just going to leave you for a little bit, alright? I'm just going to leave you for a little bit more. Are you, are you sure you're alright for the third time I'm going to leave you home alone? Just a little bit more than the last two times? And then, yeah, one of the times she leaves him home alone, all these spies come in and she doesn't believe her son. In terms of references to the first two movies, there's not many besides the fact that it takes place in Chicago. And there's similar Chuck Berry kind of soul Motown music in it. There's a scene where Alex's pet rat has crawled into the fly of one of the spy's pants, and the other spy is about to whack it by saying, don't move, don't move, and then the rat slips away last second, and the spy is hitting the crotch, much like the scene with Harry and Marv and the tarantula. So are there any redeeming qualities with this movie? I gotta say, I would recommend this movie just for the traps at the end. There's some pretty good stuff there, and it seems as though John Hughes was hanging on to a lot of that to use in a future Home Alone movie with Kevin McAllister. I would kind of liken it to recommending somebody a really crappy slasher horror movie just to watch the kills. Like, this little baby child takes out these four spy terrorists, like, just decimates them. And that was pretty entertaining to see. It just was a slog to get there. Funny enough, my opinion on this movie hasn't changed all that much since I was a kid. Also, as a byproduct of my love for Home Alone, watching these movies as a kid was the genesis for my fear of a home invasion, my fear of having my house broken into, a fear that I've talked about on this podcast before that is still, like, my number one fear. And while I was not scared of the goofy Harry and Marr from the first two Home Alones, these spies, at least at the beginning, are kinda scary and foreboding. And I remember watching this movie and then struggling to fall asleep, remembering a few key scenes from the beginning. All in all, this is not a good movie, and it really reeks of a made-for-TV kids family channel movie although it was the final Home Alone to receive a theatrical release. A telltale sign of that is like the early 2000s punk songs that are in this thing. Like, it really reminded me of Max Keeble's Big Move, which coincidentally also stars Alex D. Linz. You know those songs that are like, I'm just a kid and school really sucks, Christmas is lame and Santa can't go to heck. Like, you know, uh, if you've ever seen like the What's New Scooby-Doo, like Scooby-Doo cartoon show in the early 2000s where Simple Plan did the theme song 
really reminds me of that. I give Home Alone 3 a 3 out of 10. Mostly crap, but some good traps. Let's finish off this movie by going through some notable cast members. One of the spies is played by Lenny Von Dolan, who is Harold Smith, the shut-in from Twin Peaks Season 2, for all my Twin Peaks heads out there. The most notable cast member in this movie is a young Scarlett Johansson playing Alex's sister, Molly. And finally, the main kid. Where is he now? Well, Alex D. Linz is now 32 years old, and he retired from acting in 2007, with his last role being in the movie Choose Connor, about a kid who runs for a political office of some kind. Not sure if they chose him or not. I wouldn't. He graduated from UCLA 10 years later with a master's degree in urban and regional planning. Alex, we wish you the best, and I hope you are designing booby-trapped houses wherever you are today. From 1997, we now end up in 2002 with Home Alone 4 taking back the house. This was the final film for director Raw Daniel, who also directed the Disney TV movie Alley Cat Strike, released in 2000, which was actually filmed in my neck of the woods, Vaughn, Ontario. Sorry, didn't get to that one in the horror movie episode. We have now fully bursted into fire, and none of the angels from Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2 are there to help us. As proof of that, Macaulay Culkin watched this movie recently as a part of the Red Letter podcast show Best of the Worst, and he was not a fan. Daniel Stern was approached to appear in this movie as Marv, but declined after reading the script. So yeah... This movie is bad, but the worst part of it, just to begin, is that we are now in the Home Alone multiverse. Because this movie has a Kevin, it has a Megan, it has a Buzz, it has a Peter and a Kate and even a Marv, but none are played by their original actor or actress. Although this movie serves as a direct sequel to Home Alone 2, meaning that all the events that transpired to the McAllister family in Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 happened to these fools, allegedly. They don't have the siblings Linny and Jeff. Where are they? Did they die? A joke that I have to repeat that was made by somebody in the Red Letter podcast episode is that Linny and Jeff were both left home alone at some point but didn't survive. I'm going to call all these characters Kevin 2, Buzz 2, and so on to keep them separate from the originals. I guess dead Linny McAllister would be Linny 3 because Linny 2 was in Home Alone 2 because it was a different actress, but then that means that the timeline's diversion. I don't know, this is all getting very confusing and unnecessary. In this universe, Peter and Kate McAllister are going through a divorce, and the rich get richer as Peter McAllister finds himself with an even wealthier new girlfriend named Natalie. After getting into a fight with his siblings, Kevin 2 takes off to Peter 2's new house, and it's basically Home Alone meets Richie Rich, because they live in a huge mansion where there's gadgets and cool rich kid things and butlers and free desserts around every corner. Peter 2 and Natalie show him like three days worth of affection. Then they go pick up a royal family with a royal child that they're all psyched about. Nobody cares about Kevin, even in this horrible universe. Probably wondering who's the villain here. It's Marv 2, played by French Stewart and his wife. And they're here to not rob the house. They're here to kidnap the royal child. Marv says that he has had a falling out with Harry because Harry always wanted to make the plan and he was sick of being the second banana and he reminds his wife that he is the boss uh, seven times throughout this movie. He pretty much uh, just says the same thing, but he seems like he's still very influenced by Harry because this Marv is dressed exactly like Harry and also does like the Looney Tunes, like, 
like the same as Harry. So I, I guess he's an amalgamation of both the robbers. And both of these characters are very annoying. All of the characters in this movie are extremely annoying, including our, what child is this, you may ask? Including our Kevin McAllister 2, played by Mike Weinberg. There's a butler here, played by the only notable cast member, Eric Avari, who's a character actor that played a lot of, like, butlers and, like, well-to-do business guys. He was uh, in Mr. Deeds. He was also in The Mummy. The YDBM levels in this movie are off the charts, because here's the thing. Marv 2 and his wife, in the days leading up to Peter 2 and Natalie going to pick up this royal child, break in to the house multiple times to quote-unquote scope out the house. Like, why did they need to keep breaking in for no reason? And every time they broke into the house, there were people in the house. Kevin in this movie is actually never home alone. Just coincidentally, every time they break into the house, no one seems to see them, which is extremely infuriating. For a high-tech house that is powered by an Alexa-type remote, where you tell the house to do something and it does it, it cleans itself, there's TVs popping out of the walls, like, the traps are not that high-tech. Uh, he tells a door to close and it closes on Marv 2's face, okay? He tells a bookshelf to spin and it spins with Marv 2 and the wife in it, okay? And then spits them out. And they, uh, he basically uh, ends up dealing the final blow with this bookshelf, and they just get captured via being dizzy, uh, which is horrible. The fake Kevin does the uh, I feel good James Brown shtick, and it's just really cringe. He just kind of runs around in these like Jinko jeans as like this family is like kind of spoiling him, and it's just not nice to watch. When I was a kid, I kind of enjoyed this one. I actually enjoyed it more than Home Alone 3 because I liked seeing the high-tech house all through the movie. But now in the days of getting a Google Home for free every time you answer a survey from your bank or something, it's not that impressive. I think as a child of divorce, I was into this movie because it concerns a step-parent that has no respect for family tradition, which I've experienced before. So I kind of rooted for Kevin too based on that. However, now I see through the charade because through naming all these characters the same names as the original Home Alone characters, this movie has no respect for tradition and I give it a 2 out of 10. Before we move on, of course, we have the main kid. Where is he now? As far as I can tell, Mike Weinberg is 28 years old and retired from acting while he was still a kid with his final credit on IMDb from a 2006 episode of The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I found him on Instagram, and it looks like he's renovating an event space in Nashville to open in 2022. I really wonder if you go to the bathroom in that place, if you need a remote control to open up the stall door to take a leak. Next up on the naughty list, we got Home Alone 5, The Holiday Heist, released in 2012, made-for-TV movie, directed by Peter Hewitt, who also directed Garfield the Movie and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Craft Services hates him, because on every set he's on since Garfield, it's been a lasagna-only uh, ordeal, not a, not a fruit in sight. This movie concerns the Baxter family who moved from urban L.A. to the rural parts of Maine and live in a creepy-looking Tudor house. The house used to belong to some sort of bootlegger who has stashed away treasures that are wanted by a gang of thieves led by Malcolm McDowell. Say it with me, everybody. What child is this? His name is Finn Baxter, he's our main kid of the movie, played by Christian Martin, who every time that he and his family leave the house, the thieves enter the house and try to find this treasure, and that leads Finn to believe that the house is haunted, 
At first, the YDBM levels are pretty high, but, you know, I can kind of give the parents a pass on that. Like your, your little kid saying that the house is haunted. All right, that's sufficient cause to not believe him. But pretty soon, the dad and the sister start to believe him, and the levels kind of uh, deplete a little bit towards the middle of the film. Malcolm McDowell's thieve associates are also under the impression that the house is haunted, so it's just like that Spider-Man meme of them all pointing at each other, but it's Finn and his family and the thieves all pointing at each other like, you're the ghost, no, you're the ghost. And this gets a little irritating over time, but at first the thieves believe that it's actually the ghosts doing the traps to them. It's a little far-fetched, but at least it adds something new to this genre and kept me on my toes at least a bit. There's of course a showdown at the end, and while some traps sort of subvert those from the original Home Alone movies, like you think it's going to be this, but it ends up being something else, there's a fake which was alright, it's still not a very good movie. There's lots of cringe dialogue, and by far the most annoying character is Finn's sister, where they have that really irritating, like, family channel writing for a moody teenage girl, where every line is, ugh, whatever, ugh, you loser, ugh, and it's just, that's the whole movie. She's like that the whole movie. And it's, even when she's in distress, she's still like, oh my god, I'm trapped, ugh. And it's just like, okay, man, we get it. Most importantly, this movie is for all the gamers out there. It's for all the Fortnite heads, the Call of Duty lobbies, all the Stardew Valley guys, the Minecraft community. This is a movie for the gamers because our main kid is a gamer through and through and he butts heads with his family because he spends too much time playing online shooters and not enough uh, gallivanting outside and meeting random neighborhood kids, which I can sympathize with very well. The adult helper here during the main showdown filling the place of old man Marley or the pigeon lady is just an older dude he's playing online with while he's being the victim of a home invasion. And the guy helps him out and he calls the police and whatever. I enjoyed that aspect and I remember a period of time where I was playing Xbox Live, Halo 3 and Grade 8. I was friends with these like older crew of guys that were in a clan until all of them got banned for mining double XP through staging griffball matches. I did a little bit of that with them, and I like bragged to my friends at school, and one of my friends was like, don't do that because Microsoft can cancel your account and call your parents. So that's the importance of having real friends, not just online scumbags that will uh, get your account banned and get you grounded for a month, all for a cool helmet. The original Home Alone references here range from kind of forced, like he does the, you better come out and stop me, shtick, and then also kind of cool. There's this cool riff on the Home Alone scream face that I enjoyed. Also, we're getting some Canadian representation here as this was filmed in Winnipeg. Overall, this was not a good movie, but I did enjoy the gamer aspect, Malcolm McDowell, some of the Home Alone original references, and the ghost aspect. It kind of differentiated itself from the other movies and kept me kind of entertained, I'll say. So I'm going to give this one a 4 out of 10. I liked it a bit better than Home Alone 3. I wasn't as bored, and it was a lot better than the absolute train wreck that was Home Alone 4. As for notable cast members, if you found Finn's sister, played by Jodell Furland, annoying... You would have also found her annoying and creepy as the voice of the little sisters in Bioshock 2. Debbie Mazar plays one of the thieves, and she famously played Henry Hill's Gumar in Goodfellas. The other thief besides Malcolm McDowell was played by Eddie Steeples, who you may know from My Name is Earl. The main kid, where is he now? Christian Martin is 21 years old, still pretty young. He's a Canadian actor, acting in mostly Canadian TV shows like N with an E and Workin' Moms. On his Instagram, he says, Full Send, as he climbs a large public work sculpture in Venice Beach. I can only imagine he is now banned from the U.S. and must now exclusively star in Canadian projects. I can't wait for him to be in 
yet another show where there's a woman cop who is is on the CBC. We now arrive at 2021's Home Alone 6, Home Sweet Home Alone. God is dead and has abandoned us to mourn the dying earth, and my old man Marley's stigmatas are pouring blood down my elbows. Even though this was directed by Dan Mazur, who directed all the Sacha Baron Cohen movies, both Borat's Bruno the Dictator, and written by two SNL writers, Mikey Day, who is also a cast member, and Streeter Seidel, and although it co-stars a bunch of comedy folks, like Ellie Kemper, Chris Parnell, Pete Holmes, Esther Pavitsky, Keenan Thompson, although all of that is true, this has got to be, by far, the worst Home Alone movie in the franchise. My god, it's terribly unfunny, filled with fellow kid-style modern-day references, where just saying something that's current, like selfies and Uber, is supposed to foster a laugh. It's full of product placement, and it makes no sense. This is not only a farce to the Home Alone franchise, it's a farce on Christmas. From Star Wars to High School Musical, Disney puts themselves out there as a remake powerhouse, and I think that they tried with this one, at least at first, to bring back the old gang. But Chris Columbus came out against this movie, said he wanted nothing to do with it. And Macaulay Culkin, once rumors were abound that Disney was remaking Home Alone, tweeted that he would not be a part of it. The only rat from the original two movies to take the cheese on this one was Devin Rat Trey who played Buzz in the first two movies. He reprises his character for a whole 10 minutes in this film, and maybe that's the only kind of interesting part. The main kid is actually pretty notable. It's Archie Yates, who was a fan favorite from the movie Jojo Rabbit, which I now realize has two Home Alone alumni, along with Scarlett Johansson. Although totally lovable in Jojo Rabbit, the writing in this movie makes him out to be a total brat with a lot of young Sheldon energy. Just makes me want to say, Disney, this kid, woof! This movie begins with Max Mercer, played by Archie Yates, and his mom going to an open house of the house that's being sold by Kenan Thompson, belonging to the McKenzie family, which includes Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper as the parents. While there, Max steals a porcelain doll belonging to the family and brings it back to his home. Max's family goes on vacation and leaves him home alone. The Mackenzies are in dire straits, they can't afford Christmas gifts, and they're only selling the house because they can't afford to live in it. But they find out the exact porcelain doll that Max stole is worth $200,000 and would get them out of the hole. They then figure out that Max took it from the house, and instead of waiting for his mom to get back from vacation to deal with this problem, they decide to break into the house to take the doll back, to which Max protects his house with a bunch of traps. This movie is so tonally awful because I don't know who to cheer for. This kid is a brat, and he's also a thief. How can it be that the entire purpose of Home Alone is a child fighting thieves, and it starts off with the kid as a thief? And this Mackenzie family, who I see their plights wanting this doll back to save their home and their family, are also committing a crime when there's another way to deal with that. The face-off at the house is god-awful, with the robbers adopting ragdoll physics and they can't even stand up straight. All right, they're going to slip on the same piece of ice five times. This is 2021, and we're slipping on ice five times. They can't go up the stairs because there's butter on it, despite trying for 10 minutes straight. This is just so awful. I also felt like this movie was ripping off a Christmas story because there's a lot of those cutaway vignettes where you see what the kid is imagining 
actually acted out. As for the original Home Alone references, yeah, they're there. The music is there. The lines are there. There's a Pizza Nero box at one point. But what's it all for? This is all so soulless. As for the reprisal of Buzz McAllister, this was pretty interesting and it was nice to see Devin Rat Trey, although he's a cheese-eating rat, back in this role, although it was for 10 minutes. Buzz McAllister is now a cop, although he is a terrible one because he does not take any children left alone calls from parents seriously anymore because he believes it's his brother Kevin messing with him. So in uh, Winnetka, Chicago, there is basically a purge on for all children in danger at Christmas time. It's just my brother Kevin. It's fine, he says, as uh, children are uh, trafficked left and right. We also find out that Kevin McAllister's full-time job is now protecting homes from thieves because he owns an alarm company, which I found that kind of cool. Fine, I'll, I'll give it that one. Because of Buzz McAllister's 10 minutes, this movie gets a 1 out of 10. If that guy wasn't around, I would probably give it a 0. And that is going to do it for the GoofCast 2021 Christmas special. I hope that you got a chance to watch Home Alone 1, and maybe even 2 this holiday season, and I hope you didn't have to watch any of the post-Culkin sequels. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a very Happy Holidays, and all the best for a joyous new year. I know that the pandemic has come around yet again with a vengeance, but hopefully we're all okay. Please remember to exercise humility, patience, and kindness to one another this holiday season. I think we could all use a little bit of it. And to quote my favorite holiday movie of all time, It's a Wonderful Life, no man is a failure who has friends. This has been Michael Prims. Thank you so much for listening. Please give us a follow and check us out at our home on the web at It's Goofcast on Instagram. And you could follow me on Instagram as well at Michael Prims and on Twitter at Michael Prims. I will see you all in 2022 with more pop culture talks, laughs, and investigations. Until then, no matter if it's your morning, your afternoon, or your evening, have a great one and happy holidays.